0: But that's all right, that's my problem. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and these guys will be glad to give you one. You can take your Bibles and go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 9, and we'll get there in a minute. Acts chapter 9. A couple of things I want to mention to you, obviously, is we're heading toward the holidays, a lot of things going on, and I love this time of year, and I've already started listening to Christmas music, have you? Uh, my son and I were driving around last night, and I have a serious uh, XM radio in my car, so I've already got it on the stations at play. Christmas music, and I heard one of my favorite Christmas songs, I'll be singing it this year, Mele Maka by Bing Crosby and the Andrews sisters. So I'll get Beth and Mary and have them come sing with me, and I'll do the Bing part. So I think Andy kept saying, Dad, please shut up, because Andy also has the capacity to sing. God just gave me good looks, but he gave all my... Family, the ability to sing. So he kept saying, uh, you're killing me, Dad. Please, please shut up. And if we could, could we change the channel? So I put it on Metallica channel. I, know. I wish there was one. I don't know what, the, what do we would do with that. All right, a couple of things I do want to mention to you. This Saturday is 17th. Is that right? Today's the 11th. 11 is 7 is, come on, let's do some. He no, said there would be no math. 11 to 7 is 18, minus 1 is 17. All right, so it's also the third Saturday of the month, our help day, monthly, monthly, weather's already eating at my throat, help day at the Bartley campus. Uh, Because it is November, we will more than likely have a huge number of people there, more so than usual. Usually we have around 300. It could be as many as 400 there this coming Saturday. So, having said that, we need as many bodies as possible to do what we normally do and, and with the baskets and helping them with the food and upstairs and the clothing ministry is a lot that goes on. So third, this coming Saturday and, and we'll begin setting up like 8 o'clock, open the doors, part of it at 9 o'clock, a lot of people come through. So if you can come help, particularly from about 10 to noon, Saturday would be uh, incredibly helpful. So if you can do that this coming Saturday, that would be great. Uh, a couple of things I want to mention to you to check out after we get through here today. It, besides getting you a nice t-shirt, where's the t-shirt? Oh, you don't even have it on? Oh, get you a t-shirt there. And we've still got some maps over here. And uh, I'll be over here afterwards if you uh, still, I know the weather's not real good to go walking right now, but it, it'll warm up this week. And we've still got a couple of areas, that, a few areas that haven't, the maps haven't been taken. If you'd like to do that, the, uh, I'll be over here afterwards. Also, we're getting into that time of year. We're going to be doing some stuff with Galloway, some mission efforts that we like to do with the folks right down the road here that we've taken on. And so Deborah Rousseau will be out here at our table. Did I pronounce it right? I'm so proud of myself. Be out here at our table in the lobby afterwards, and we've got both the angel tree thing coming up for Christmas. You can get a, a gift to help a child in Galloway, but also some stuff we're trying to do for the women there. We need to do that like... This week, the so we'll give some gift bags to some ladies in Galloway. So Deborah will be out there and explain all that to you afterwards if you'd like to help with that. Okay, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 9 or your devices, whatever, if you haven't already. And what we're going to look at today is the idea we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And obviously we had our missionaries with us last weekend, and um, it was such a great time. I really enjoyed doing that. We're going to try to do that much more often uh, some of them, we we'd never had them all together. It was just a great weekend. So, obviously we had them sharing last Sunday. And we're going to pick up where we were a couple of weeks ago in the book of Acts. We were looking at the salvation of Saul of Tarsus. And we were talking about the fact that God can save anybody. If he saved Saul of Tarsus, he can save anybody. He would have been the last person, we've talked about this many times. He would have been the last person on planet Earth at that point in time that the church would have said, Come on in. They wouldn't even have welcomed him, as we're going to see, because of who he was and what he did, and he had been their persecutor and their imprisonment. He had been the, the executioner in many ways, and he was actually on his way to Damascus to imprison Jews there who had become Christ's followers, take them back to Jerusalem, and imprison them, and ultimately see them executed, and their families being devastated. That's what he did, and he was really good at it, and so God saves him miraculously. We saw that. He meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. He meets Ananias in the church. And then God says, I have a ministry for you. Two things. This is where we left off last time. You're going to bear Jesus' name. You're going to take his name, specifically to the Gentiles. That's your ministry, to bear the name of Jesus to the Gentiles and make learner followers of me, Jesus, in the Gentile world. All the nations begin to fulfill that great commission." to all the nations of the world. Secondly, second aspect of your ministry, number one is to bear Jesus' name. And number two is you're going to suffer for Jesus' name. And the irony of that, it's really interesting, you see the sovereign hand of God, and the irony of that is Paul understood suffering, and he understood persecution, but he understood it from the other end of the sword, didn't he? He had been the persecutor, and he'd been the one dishing out the suffering. He had been the one who had been cruel to the point of death for Christ's followers, and now he is going to suffer immensely. And we shall see as we go through the book of Acts all the many things that he went through to bear the name of Jesus Christ and to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. And he writes about it later in Philippians, that it's a privilege, To bear that name and to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. And he said it is part of our calling as believers. So, the next aspect of that is what we're going to look at today. Is God can save anybody, and he did. He saved Saul of Tarsus. But the encouragement I want to give to you today as we look at the next aspect of his life is that God can use anybody. He can use you. He can use me. And I'm living proof that he can use anybody. Because I, the Bible says in Romans 5a, while we were yet in our sin, Christ died for us. He loved us before we loved him. We were his enemies. We were we, we just simply living our lives for ourselves. And Jesus came, became one of us. The word became flesh, dwelt among us. We should, obviously, we celebrate the incarnation at Christmas. and died in our place so that we could have a relationship with God. He loved us when we did not love him in return. As a matter of fact, we were his enemies. Saul of Tarsus, perfect example. Jesus saved him when he was his number one enemy. He even said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He was persecuting Jesus' followers. He was persecuting Jesus. That's the privilege. That's the honor. That's the part of it. So, in Acts chapter 9, when you get to verse 17, let's start there. We saw last week, that, or two weeks ago, that after he saves him, he sends him into Damascus to go meet a man named Ananias. Obviously a, a follower. And the irony of that was that Saul was on his way to Damascus to meet Ananias and others like Ananias to take him back to Jerusalem and imprison and ultimately have him executed. Now he's going to him for help. Now he's going to him as a brother in Christ. Now he's going to him, and we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. So let's look first of all, now that God has saved Saul, he's going to empower him, the power that Saul needs to do what God wants him to do, that he can use anybody. Verse 17, chapter 9. And Ananias went his way and he entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul... The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you might be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. Obviously, we remember, he was blinded on that Damascus experience. And Saul received his sight at once. And he arose and he was baptized. When he received food, he was strengthened. And Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. First thing I want you to see is that So we're going to get the power for Saul to do what God wants him to do, to to bear Jesus' name and to suffer for Jesus' name. That's really important, both aspects of him going forward as a believer and a leader. He's going to be the apostle to the Gentiles, bearing Jesus' name, suffering for Jesus' name. And notice verse 17, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the power that he's going to need to be, to do what God wants him to do. He's not going to be able to do it in his own power. Because he's going to do some incredible, even to this day, we're sitting here studying his life. If you read the book of Philippians, who wrote it? Darren, quick. Paul. Thank you. That's good. Now you're awake. Who wrote Galatians? Who wrote Ephesians? Are you all sure? Like I've told you many times, if you don't know who wrote a book, someone says who wrote a book in the Bible, just throw out Paul. You're probably going to be right. Who wrote Revelation. Oh, very good. John wrote it. Who wrote 1 John? This got me impressed. Who wrote James? Who wrote Jude? You sure? Uh, who wrote Philemon? It wasn't Philemon. <laughs> so, God is going to use this man incredibly. And even to this day, we study his life. We learn from his life. We're encouraged by his life. We're convicted by his life. He writes writes to to say, I'm about to have my head cut off. Let's joy in our circumstances. That's incredible. But it's because he's empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what God has chosen him to do, called him to do, saved him to do, and now empowering him to do. Verse 18, he's been blinded. Verse 18, there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once. He was physically healed. Now please note, God doesn't always physically heal us when we ask for it immediately. Saul so doesn't even know what's going on. All he knows is he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and, and he gave his life to him and, he, and, and all he knows is I'm blinded and now I'm, I'm totally helpless and at the hands of the people that I was going to persecute, God has placed me in their hands. I got to trust them. I don't know what's going on. And God says to Ananias... God's in control. I want you to go to Judah's house and I want you to pray for Saul. You're going to find Saul of Tarsus praying. We talked about a couple of weeks ago how weird this had to be for Ananias. You want me to go talk to who? Lord, did I? You know, I'm having a little trouble hearing. Lord, is that what you want me to do? Yes. And he he immediately, he receives his sight because God chooses the whens, the where's, and the how's. We pray, we ask, and we submit to the will of God, whether it's in our own lives or in the lives of others. So, so he was he's physically healed, verse 19. into verse 18. He arose and he was baptized. He had received food. He was strengthened. He spent some days with whom? It's really cool. He spent some days, and we don't know exactly how long, with the disciples at Damascus. He's not only physically healed, his prejudices are healed. Later on, you will see this man, Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul, confronting Peter about Peter's bigotry. It couldn't have been any more, a man more racist than Saul of Tarsus. He hated anybody who was following Jesus. In many ways, it sounds like some of the things are going on in our nation today, Right? Everybody uh, is it cool to have a voice unless you happen to be a Christian he had anybody that was a Christ follower wanted them he, it was his personal quest for life to wipe out the church that's what he was on the planet to do and he was really good at it and now he's one of them. Notice the end of verse 18. he not only is physically healed says he's baptized. you see that? And this is after he's saved. He's been saved for, we don't know exactly how long, but he's been saved for a few days. He's baptized. What's going on? He's identifying, that's what the word means, spiritually immersed now and identifying with the church. He's joining up. Again, the last person on the earth they would have accepted and expected to come in was Saul of Tarsus. But Ananias is a faithful disciple. He does what God tells him to do, even though in his mind and in the moment it does not make sense. On the surface it seems weird, even dangerous. But God says to him, this is what I want you to do. And so he does it. Saul's identified. He was baptized. I love verse 17. Look at that again. And Ananias went his way. He entered his house. He laid his hands on Saul of Tarsus, his number one enemy. What's he calling? Brother Saul. Most of you know I love to be called Brother Randy. For some reason, I don't like it. Brother John, it fits. It don't fit, Brother Randy. When people say that, I say, just call me Randy or Old Great One, but not Brother... (laughs) Randy, I love this, and I want you to see the poignancy of it. He lays his hands on his number one enemy who was coming to imprison him, if possible, and take his life, if possible, and he puts his hands on him, prays for him, and calls him what?
1: Brother. Brother.
0: Only God does stuff like that. He's adopted into the family. He's my brother in Christ, even though I don't understand it and I wouldn't have chosen him. By the way, anybody have a sibling here you wouldn't have chosen if you had the choice? I got, never mind. Sure. You got family members. I I know I have family members. That Man, I sure wish Randy wasn't part of our family. He just says, God told me that Saul is in. I'm going to love him. I don't understand it. But I know God doesn't make mistakes. He saved me, Ananias. He can save Saul of Tar. He can save anybody. If we're going to say he can use anybody, you just got to be available and willing. So he uses Ananias. Just a guy we don't even know. That's just all we know about him. But he was there when God wanted him to do something, and he did it. Don't ever think that your ministry is insignificant. Don't ever think that. And don't ever think you don't have a ministry. If you're born again, you are a minister. You're a servant of Christ and a servant of the church and an ambassador for Christ to your world. Wherever your world is, that's who you are. That's your identity as a Christian. You're called to die to self, to serve him, serve others. It's unique. This is not a normal human reaction. He calls him Brother Saul. He's in. Verse 19, he received food. From the disciples whom he was coming to imprison and have executed. They feed him. They take care of him. He was strengthened by them. He spent several days with them. It's kind of like the holidays. Let's think about Thanksgiving or Christmas. He's now hanging out with these people for several days. People whom a week before or a couple of days before, had they seen him, would have said what? Where can I hide? Where can I run? I've got to get away from Saul of Tarsus. No, let's invite him over for dinner. Let's feed him. Let's take care of him. He is now one of us. Even though it was not easy, and we shall see. It's not, it wasn't easy for them to accept him. They're doing it. He spends several days with him. wonder what those conversations were like while they, while they were playing Uno and, and Domino's and stuff. So, uh, How's it going, Saul? Be tough, wouldn't it? Be hard. But they knew it was God's will because He said, This is what I want you to do. You got to trust me. Doesn't make sense to you. I understand that. But God says, This is what I want you to do. And you do it. And now let's look at His preaching starting in verse 20. Immediately, they spend some time with them. In Damascus, immediately he preached the Christ. Notice the Greek definite article, or Jesus the Christ, literal. He preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. So what you see in verses 21 and 22, I'll read 21, go ahead, uh, we'll read 21. Then all who heard were amazed, and they said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name Jesus in Jerusalem? And he's come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? He was a well-known person. They knew why he was there. Verse 22. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. So what you see in verses 20 through 22 is Saul's initial witness after being saved at Damascus. The first thing you notice in verse 20 is he preaches Jesus, that Jesus is the Son of God or the Christ. Let's think back a week, no more than a week. What would he have been preaching in that synagogue? Jesus is the what? The satanic false leader who's out to destroy Judaism and he is his followers have to be stopped. That's why I'm here. If you remember, we're not going to go back and look at it. If you remember when we set the context up for this part, when the transition in the book of Acts, he goes to the Sanhedrin, which he was a member of. And he goes to the chief priest. He says, I need letters of authority to take to Damascus to arrest people. I'm going to the synagogues and I'm going to arrest Jews that have become Christ's followers and bring them back. Now he's in the synagogue preaching what? Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one we Jews have been looking for since the Exodus. He is Messiah. Can you imagine what the religious leaders are thinking? The Jews are thinking, what has happened to Saul? He's lost his mind. He's talking about Jesus as the Messiah, like these other followers, like Ananias and Judas and these others. He preaches in the synagogue, the very place he was headed to arrest him. And I love verse 21. Proves that Jesus is the Messiah. Isn't this Saul of Tarsus the destroyer? Isn't he here to destroy them? And now he's preaching that he is the Messiah. He had been their number one zealot for Judaism. Now he's become Jesus' number one evangelist. Look at verse 22. He confounded the Jews in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. Now there's a gap. Look at verse 23. Now after many days were passed the Jews plotted to kill him. There's a gap between verse 22 and 23 of about 3 years. Over in Galatians chapter 1 the Bible you don't have to turn there the Bible says this. When it pleased God who set Paul's writing to, to the Galatians, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I Paul might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. That time in Arabia is between verse 22 and verse 23. So he goes to Arabia and he spends three years. Now he comes back to Damascus and you notice verse 23. After many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. So he comes back, and emphatically, even more he's preaching Jesus as the Messiah, and what's the response of the Jews, which he was he would have been in on this plot had it been someone else three years prior they said we had to kill him, just like we had to kill Jesus, just like we got to kill him, jesus followers we've got to kill Saul of Tarsus. remember Jesus had told him when he miraculously confronted him, blinded him, saved him on the road to Damascus. Remember what Jesus told him? I will show you what you must suffer for my name's sake. So you get to verse 23, and now the way they look at Saul of Tarsus, the Jews look at Saul of Tarsus and say, he's our enemy. He's gone over to the other side. We have to stop him. He's an expert in the law. Look at verse 24. Their plot became known to Saul and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Day and night. He was an expert in the law. He was able to confound. He was able to prove that Jesus is the Messiah that our law is talking about. They had to stop him. They were watching the gates day and night to catch him so that they could kill him. Verse 25. The disciples took him by night they led him down through the wall in a large basket. Now, I want you to see this context. It's it, Number one, it's again very poignant, but number two, it just shows you, you you have to trust God, the hand of God. He spends his three years in Arabia and he comes back and he's fired up and he's excited and he wants to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. He's going to start in Damascus where he was saved and he's going to start with them and then say, no, oh, there's a... Uh, he finds out there's a plot to kill me Why? Well, how come God's not letting me pre- I want to preach I'm fired up please get the picture he has to go to the church the people he was coming to persecute three years before and in prison and have killed and they got to help him escape by lowering him down in a basket he's got to sneak out of town his idea of what God's will would be was hey I'm Saul of Tarsus, and I'm here to tell you I was wrong. Jesus is the, now that would be a good thing, right? And he is going to do that. But not here, not right now. God's got a different way. Number one, you've got to trust God. Please see this picture. Number two, the church, the disciples now looked at him as our dear brother, we've got to protect him. Think about that. He was their number one enemy. I know I've said it a bunch of times, but I don't want you to miss it. They now say, no, he's our brother, Saul. We got to protect him. God has a plan for him. We don't even know who these people were. But they had a big part in the New Testament getting written, didn't they? Because he got away from this murderous plot. They were just there. They were just available. They just did what God wanted them to do. For that moment, get him out of town. That's your job. Ananias, you go to him and pray for him. You take care of him. Just do your job. Let's move on. Later in 2 Corinthians 11, again, very, very beautiful. Paul is talking about his life. He writes to the church at Corinth. And he says these words. He was kind of defending himself as an apostle. Here's what he says. If I must boast, Paul's writing, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under Aradus the king was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desiring to arrest me. That's what we just read about. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. He's saying, What I really want to boast about is not who I am, not my, I've got this thorn in the flesh, but here's what I want you to really know that I'm so proud of. Those people loved me, they loved me. They took me, let me down in a basket so I could escape Aretas and all the soldiers. That's what I'm really thrilled about. Here's the principle and then we're going to wrap this up in just a moment. Here's the principle. What sets the church of Jesus Christ apart from the rest of the world, Jesus himself said this, is that we love each other. Sacrificially, unconditionally, no strings attached. I love Darren Brady. We're friends. Darren and I are friends. But I I love him because he 's my brother in Christ we don 't agree on everything He worships at the altar of that terrible team in Knoxville i don't, but he 's my brother. I could look just looking around this room, I see faces people that i 'm very close to that I spend time with that I play golf with, but also see people that I just know little bit about you but here's what i know there's a bond we have as christians in the holy spirit that you can't get anyplace else we love each other does that mean i like every single thing about no you don't like every single thing about me if you knew me i guarantee you wouldn't but doesn't keep me from loving you it's different i'm not going to talk about my siblings at length but i have an older brother and a younger brother and i love my brothers but I'm much closer to Darren than I am my brothers. To Peter. Steve. Chad. My brothers aren't Christians. They don't understand me. They don't want my life, not their life. They're not interested in it. I look at Phil Griggs and known Phil for years. I'm much closer to him than I am my own siblings. I don't want it that way. Here's what I know. The bond of the blood of Jesus Christ... Is stronger than anything you will ever experience. You wanna be a good husband? Commit your life to Christ first. Wanna be a good wife? Commit your life to Christ first. You wanna be a true friend? Look at Jesus as a friend. Say, I wanna be like him. You know what makes a leader in the church a true leader? This is how you know one is not a true leader? Is when they can if they're humble. That's all Jesus ever said he was. I'm humble. I'm humble. Saul was changed by those people at the Ma- We don't even know their names other than Ananias and Judas. He was changed by the fact he hated them, came to kill them. And how did they respond to him? They loved him. They loved him. We recently did on Halloween night, we did our trunk or treat thing and the pouring down rain and um, my job was to direct traffic in the pouring down rain. I was excellent. I was Barney Fife. I am Barney Fife, and I'm out there directing traffic. And without exception, we were talking about it last week at staff meeting. We probably had a thousand. We ran out of candy. We probably had a thousand kids come through there. Now pouring down rain, and I dealt with every single car that came through because they were dropping them off at the portico. And without exception, every s- single one of them, none of, and as far as I know, none of them go to our church. Every single one said, We really appreciate your church for doing this. You do it year after year after year. Same thing with the help group. When you go to the cars with them and you pray with them after they've gotten food or they get, especially like some people in tears, they get some of the clothes they get upstairs are real nice. And you see them and you ask them. And I had one lady who worked at Methodist North Hospital, and she'd just gotten off work, came and got her clothes. I was helping her get the elevator, get her clothes, and she said, I want you to know, I've never had clothes this nice. Thank you. Now, why do we do that? We you get anything out in, back, we simply do it because we love. Total strangers. When Paul got to Damascus, they, know, they knew who he was. Did he know who they were? No. But they loved him. And that's what he brags about. These people loved me and allowed me to minister. So look at the people of Saul. We'll wrap this up. Verse 26. I love this. When Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. Now he's at headquarters. This is three years later. He comes to Jerusalem from Damascus. after he, He flees Damascus the plot to kill him, he goes to Jerusalem. But they were afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Now let's be fair to them. They knew Saul of Tarsus at Jerusalem, didn't they? And now he shows up and says, I'm in, boys. What would would have been your response? He might think he's in, but we got a committee meeting. He ain't in. You know what? I probably would have been in that group too. This guy tried to kill me. Tried to put me in. No, he ain't in. I ain't voting him in. You can forget that. Please see the hand of God. He goes to Jerusalem. Why would you go to Jerusalem if you were a new believer? Because that would have been going to headquarters. You would go to the center of the church where it all began. You would go up there and get your march. You go, what is it that God wants me to do? I'm going to go talk to the boys. Peter, John, and the others. I'm going to go see what's going on, see what I need to do. See, what my assignment is, I'm in. So he goes to headquarters. Verse 26, he's simply rejected. We don't believe it. They're afraid of him, and they didn't believe. Of course they were afraid, and of course they didn't believe. That's logical. Doesn't make it right, but it's the logical response to this man. I love verse 27. Now he gets accepted. What's the first two words of verse 27? Verse 27. But Barnabas, but Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, the leaders. He declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, Damascus, that he had spoken to him, how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Barnabas vouches for Saul of Tarsus as a man of God, preaching in the name of Jesus. You know, you think about it, when you study the Bible and you talk about great Bible figures and people that, that you study, preach sermons on, talk about, how often do you talk about Barnabas? How many of you got a child named Barnabas? A number of you got children named Paul. There's a Paul sitting right back there. Uh, by the way, we need some more Randys. I, I'm beginning to get complex about this. Ain't too many Barnabas that run around. Barney Five, for example, That's probably his name was probably Barnabas. Think about this guy. Without Barnabas, what happens? Amen. Barnabas' nickname, we we did a series on nicknames a couple of years ago. Barnabas' nickname was what? Anybody remember? Go back and do that whole series if you don't get it right. Thank you. Son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. Sure was, wasn't he? Did Saul of Tarsus need to be encouraged? Yeah. I want to follow Jesus, and they won't even let me join the church. Barnabas says, I'll see what I can do. And he goes to the apostles. Vouches for him. He vouches for him. Look at verse 28. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. Coming in and going out. He was there. Day in, day out, they accepted him because Barnabas vouched for him. Now he's in. He's part of it. Look at verse 29. He gets protected. He spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and he disputed against the Hellenists. We talked about those Greek-speaking Jews earlier in the book. They attempted to kill him. Here we go. Remember Jesus told him, you're going to bear my name, and you're also going to what? Suffer for my name. Again, they're trying to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. So again, the church at Jerusalem that did not want to accept him after he's accepted and he's coming and he's in and out, now there's another group plotting to kill him. And what do the people who did not want to accept him, what do they do? They protect him. They send him home. He's from Tarsus. That's his hometown. They send him back to Tarsus. And then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace, and they were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. It's a good time. The church is growing. The Lord is blessing. I want you to flip over for just a moment to First Timothy chapter one, and we are done. This is Paul's personal testimony about this. He writes to his son in the faith, Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Obviously written by Paul to encourage his son in the faith, Timothy, to quote, fulfill your ministry. Paul's ministry was to bear in the name of Jesus, suffer for the name of Jesus. And he tells Timothy, don't let anybody despise your youth. You be a word. You be an example to them in what you say, what you do. Live out your faith. Fulfill your ministry. Now look at verse 12 of First Timothy chapter 1. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me, Paul writing, because he counted me faithful, putting me into ministry. God is using me. That's what he's telling Timothy. In other words, he's saying to Timothy, if God can use me, he can use who? You, Timothy, or anybody else. He's using me. He saved me. He enabled me. He put me in ministry. Look at verse 13. Although I was formerly a blasphemer of Jesus, a persecutor of Jesus' followers, an insolent or arrogant, violently arrogant, is what it means in Greek, a violently arrogant man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. What he's saying in verses 13 and 14 is truly really cool. God saved me. He showed me mercy. He showed me grace. When he saved Randy, he showed me mercy. He showed me grace. And in the Greek here, it's hyperstatic. We get our we literally get our word hyper from it. It means he just grace, like, wow, grace to me emphasized, we get our word hyper from it. Grace, faith, love. Verse 15. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. See, he thought back over all he had done. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. When Jesus confronts him on the road to Damascus, the first two thoughts that probably went through his mind were, number one, Jesus is alive. And number two, all those people I had killed were right. They were right. He is the Messiah. He saves me. I'm chief among sinners. And he saved me. If he can save me, he can save anybody. And if he can use me, he can use anybody. Look at verse 16. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me, first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Again, if he could save me, he can save anybody. He did it in me so I could share it with you, Timothy. You share it with others. You need to be encouraged at whatever you do. You never know how God's going to use it. You never know when God's going to use it. Just faithfully be available and let him use you, like Ananias, Judas, Barnabas, the people lowering him down in the basket, the people letting him escape to, from Caesarea to Tarsus. When I was growing up as a kid, in the early 60s, mid-60s, even in the late 60s, I thought I could play baseball. I found out my head could catch the baseball well, but I couldn't. I was playing left field one night. I didn't know that I needed glasses. And someone hit a line drive, and I said, I believe that's coming my direction. And I woke up laying on the bench with my mom standing over me. But growing up playing baseball, I always wore number seven. And those of you who been into baseball, particularly in the 60s, I guarantee you know why. Why? Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle. Even when I played softball for the church, years later they let me play because I was in charge and they couldn't keep me off the team. <laughs> and I got to be the when you and when you coach the team, you get to decide who plays. That's why I coached. So, not because I was good, but I always wore number seven. I loved Mickey Mantle growing up. And if you know anything about baseball, Mickey Mantle to this day as a Yankee is revered. His stats. What he did in his career was incredible. Starting at age 19, probably the best center fielder ever played. Maybe Willie Mays was better. I don't know. Great baseball player. Well, Mickey Mantle had a serious drinking problem. His father died at age 40 of Hodgkin's disease. His grandfather died before 40 at the same disease. Both dead. Two uncles died of Hodgkin's disease before 40. He was terrified of dying. So when he, and he was a great, I'm talking about one of the greatest baseball players that ever played, and most of the time he played with a terrible hangover because he partied with with Whitey Ford and uh, uh, Billy, I can't remember Billy's last name, uh, became the manager later, Billy Martin. Others, they would drink all night and they had to play the next day. Or he partied hard. He was terrified. He just knew I'm going to die before 40 of, of cancer because all the men in my family do. And he would, he'd, he'd even joke about it. And I think how good he would have been if he hadn't been a partier. And he's still one of the greatest that ever played. But he lived for the moment because he just knew he was going to die. And he had a teammate named Bobby Richardson played second base for the Yankees. still remember watching him play. Great teams. Bobby Richardson was a committed Christian. Loved Jesus. And he would witness to every, anybody and everybody. And Mickey Mantle, obviously, they were friends, and he would witness to Mickey. But all Mickey Mantle cared about was playing baseball, partying, because he knew he was going to die. Well, after he retired later in and in the mid '90s, like '94, Mickey Mantle finally decided that I need to go in and see if I can do something about my drinking problem. We had a horrible drinking problem. As he goes into the Betty Ford Clinic, supposed you know, gets out through that. The next year, they tell him you've got liver cancer. He died on August 17, 1995. Guess who he called when they told him he had cancer and you're going to die? Bobby Richardson. Been witness to him all those years ago. He said, Bobby, would you pray for me? And he did. Not long after that, Bobby went to see him because he knew he was going to die. His death was imminent. And he got there. He said, Bobby, Bobby said, I don't even know how I'm going to talk to Mickey. I don't and he walked in and here's what Mickey Mantle said to him. Bobby, I want you to know I've asked Jesus to be my saint. You don't know. You don't know. Bobby Richardson was just faithfully playing baseball, really good at what he did. Just faithfully played baseball every day and lived out his faith in Jesus and shared it with his teammates. God used it, didn't he? I don't care where you are. God saved you to use you faithfully, where you are. Live your faith, share your faith. See what happens. to bow your heads, please. Lord again, we just thank you that you are God, that you're real. There's so many. That we can go in in our lives and try to discover purpose and meaning. And you've given that to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you. Thank you. We're grateful for grace and mercy. You showed it to Saul of Tarsus who, in our eyes, would never have deserved it. You showed it to me. I didn't deserve it. So many of us in this room that are Christians, you showed us grace and mercy. We didn't deserve it. You did it anyway. You reached out and showed us love when we did not love you in return. You loved us anyway. Thank you, Father. And as we close out our time together, you encourage us that we're important for the kingdom. You saved us to use us to minister to others. If there happens to be somebody seated here like Mickey Mantle that all those years said no, maybe this is the moment when they say, wow, Jesus died because he loved me. died for me. Thank you to Jesus. Jesus just saved me like he did Mickey Mantle and Randy. I need that hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing, and if you'd like me to pray with you, I'll be down front.